500 years ago he washed ashore the sole survivor of a shipwreck and upon the skull of the man who killed his dad he said i'm mad i must eradicate piracy injustice and cruelty and all my sons will follow me so evil doers will believe that this man cannot die g'day this is expand podcast our website is chronicalchamber.com and you can subscribe to our podcast via youtube or through your favourite podcast apps. Today we are doing a special podcast focusing on the one story and the creative team behind it. We only do this on occasions, um, and this comic is 1925 from Fru. Where is the comic? There it is. This is the comic here, uh, which features two stories, uh, the classic Lee Fork and Wilson McCoy story in colour, The Mass Marvel, and a brand new sequel until... The Final Bell by Paul Mason. We are joined by, or I am joined by the whole team, Dan and Steve. How are you guys? Very, very well, thanks, Jim. Yourself? Yeah, it's, it's been a while since the three of us have been on, so it's good to have the uh, three amigos back. Yeah, I'm um, delighted to be here, and especially when you said that the uh, the creators from issue 1925 were going to be on the pod, um, I didn't realise that... Uh, we, I thought you might be bringing back uh, Lee Fork and Wilson McCoy, actually, for a second. <laughs> <laughs> but we've got all the living creators from this issue. <laughs> that That's a special podcast for our Patreons only. So, um, <laughs> if you're one of our Patreons, you'll be able to listen to that one. Um, but yes, you're right. Uh, we do have uh, Paul Mason, who is the, the, the creator uh, behind the brand new sequel story, Until the Final Bell. Hello, Paul, or... Dr. Paul, how are you? <laughs> Good, thanks, mate. How you doing? Hello, Jen. Not bad. Uh, thank you for joining us. Um, it's been a while since we've had you on. I think it's, I think it was the 2018 or 2019 Supernova special, I think was the last time you were on a podcast. That's right, yep. Um, and from what I understand, the Mass Marvel wasn't on the on the um, cards by them as well. So a lot has has happened throughout that those last couple of years. Yeah, it, uh, it was actually that con from memory um, when, uh, yeah, no, it was that con. Yeah, where Glenn um, pitched the idea of doing a, a boxing story. Um, it wasn't specifically masked Marvel at that point. He just... I think Glenn being the savvy creator he is, uh, recognised the connection between, you know, boxing, the Phantom, um, obviously wanting to do a boxing special, um, knowing my um, background and, and my like of, like of the, love of the sport. Um, and so I percolated on the idea and, and at the time I, I think I'd, I'd just finished no, it actually came out, that 2019 annual um, came out in January, um, that one that I wrote and drew uh, for the Vietnam story. So I was thinking of it, this kind of little short story of the Phantom and he's in a monologue in between rounds. Um, that's all I kind of had in my head. So I was percolating on an idea. Uh, I called him up and I got a little bit more specifics of like, well, what, what did you think? like what did you want me to do in regards to this and he said uh, specifically like a a sequel to this particular story so 
um, gave me, uh, you know, a couple of days I sort of thought about it and then came up with the angle and pitched it in the car um, before a uni class. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, well. yeah wow. Um, yeah. I, I was just wondering if we can maybe take a little bit back. Um, yeah, so, sure. so I guess you – uh, not only you don't just do the Phantom, of course. Um, you, you've got a few other projects. Before we get solely focused on the Phantom, which we are a Phantom podcast, of course. I was just wondering if you can tell us a little bit about some of the other projects you've been working on in the last couple of years. Uh, Flock. Um, I believe there's another. Uh, I can't remember the name of at the top of my head, but there was another one which I think comes out or the Kickstarter or comes out next week, which was one. Oh yeah, of yeah. Various artists. Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, I guess I once the pandemic hit and it was sort of like pencils down, I basically wrapped up. Um, I think I was working on Kid Phantom 9 at the time and was sort of told that that would be the last one. So I finished that um, and then uh, got thrown another one while I was working on The Deep um, doing concept art. So I was very busy and stressed throughout that part of that uh, pandemic after a morning period of, uh, you know, all the phantom work kind of drying up. Um, so I, I, after I wrapped my head around that, I had this um, burning desire to do my own work, you know, put, put some of my own energy into something that's sort of solely mine. Um, and that's, that's where kind of flock came from. So it was a, a originally off a, a, I guess I, I take my, um, my third year art direction students um, to the museum to do some sketching and we combine it with life drawing and we combine it too with like uh, animal sketches and things like that. So I used to do these little mashup demos, um, sort of an example of photo bashing in, in class for concept art. And I'd created this... Um, particular character that I decided I wanted to write a story about. So, you know, and part of it too was I'd gathered all this material for the Vietnam um, War series um, only to sort of have it dry up. So I'm like, well, I've got all this stuff that I've um, researched and I want to kind of put it to use. So that's where sort of flock germ germinated from that, you know, this, this uh, old soldier telling us his sort of 50-year story from, um, you know, the front lines of, World War One, all the way through to uh, what will eventually be, you know, Vietnam. But it, it crosses paths with um, things like the Emu War and stuff like that. Um, uh, so that was kickstarted at the start of the year. Um, Can I just jump in and ask one question or a couple of questions about Flock Paul? Sure. Sorry, Can, I, know, I know my brain just takes the. Brain, so. <laughs> no, no, that's all right. I just, I just want to. Uh, um, the just wanted to say the the idea of um so for people who haven't um seen flock the concept basically is a giant pigeon who um men sized pigeon who fights in world war one and then um gets old with his hand um and what i love about that is like it's a ridiculous concept yeah and you don't you, you would that in the book you go oh that's, where did he come from oh i didn't ask just just the, the blind acceptance go oh well <laughs> just there. yeah well i guess love I that, guess that. I, I really enjoyed that element. thank you 
I guess if we're talking spoilers, um, yes. I haven't read it yet, so just spoil ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, yeah, sorry, J- J- Jermaine was very kind to get one of the, um, uh, well, you were all very kind in supporting it. And um, through my own um, hubris, I guess I've got a lot of, I'm down to my last eight parcels to send off because they're all the commission levels and Jermaine's got quite a few commissions to get through. So uh, he hasn't quite <laughs> seen the book yet. And I, I, when I did the campaign, I, I, I didn't advertise at all what the book actually was about, which was essentially uh, a six-foot man pigeon uh, <laughs> that runs around the battlefields delivering messages for the front uh, for the allied forces so uh it's dumb yes but i wanted to treat it <laughs> deadly serious yeah uh, which i'm hopefully that's the joke um mm. and yeah I, I figured i had a lot of trouble trying to figure out logically where where the that you know thing developed so i've 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 got an idea and I've written, the whole story is written. It's just a matter of me drawing it. Um, and I thought, well, this guy's not really going to know because he's like, he was a young kid hmm. uh, who grew up to be a soldier and his expertise was just, he grew up with birds, you know, so uh, he's not going to understand it even if someone explains it to him. Um, so yeah, that was, and I write, and that was, it's funny that you say that, um, um, Dan, because, um, uh, I had Duncan here giving me a hand, um, with the, um, the logistics of the mail out, and, uh, he said that was his bit, that favorite bit that made him laugh too, um, <laughs> revelation. Oh, there you go. <laughs> didn't, you ask, didn't you ask where it came from? He went, no. So. Yeah. I suppose <laughs> it saves you having to explain that if. If you just don't, if you just do it like that, you don't have to explain it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm treating it a little bit like Cloverfield in a way, in a sense of if you ever seen Cloverfield, it's all found footage um, of uh, a, like an attack of a creature, a kaiju attacking a city, um, and it's never really? brought up in the film where the thing came from, except for a little bit right at the very end if you're paying attention. Um, and so I'm kind of treating this in a similar fashion, you know, because I don't just want to mm. exposition dump. I mean, the whole hanging aspect of the story is an old man in a pub in the late 60s telling his story to a bartender that looks suspiciously like Paul Hogan. So, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's that's the conceit. Um, but... In doing that, I wanted to tell this really long story in a very short space of time, and that was the best way to kind of do it. Uh, but it all, it'll eventually catch up in the present if I can give anything away. Um, yeah, right. it'll all make sense in the end. So it's a, a long. Uh, well, there's four issues. Well, we'll see huh? how we go. Really? Yeah. Well, I'm, I certainly enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to chapter two. <laughs> oh, that's that's nice to hear because I was really worried about what what the average fandom fan would would think reading it, uh, because it is a little bit different than um, fandom. Or <laughs> well, oh, if we can accept um, the little people on Eden, um, <laughs> <laughs> I 
the cable. Some, so the some of us like, are still in. Some of us are still in denial about those, some of those <laughs> traits. <laughs> it reminds me of some of the comments. Oh well, I only got two comments that were negative about the the Mass Marvel story, and and it reminds me of that when someone says you are you know you ruin the Phantom legacy. I'm like pretty sure every Phantom creator, including Lee Falk. Uh, has ruined the legacy <laughs> in one way or another. Uh, there's always something that people aren't going to like about the books, you know. Mm. I think I saw something today. I didn't read the whole thing, but someone was having a, a bit of a, a comment about what Tony DePaul's done with, in the daily lately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually thought it was like, I think like you guys, you know, you, you see it and you go, you, you realise the ramification of seeing it. Mm. <laughs> that's what makes it cool and mm. at the same time it's a fictional story so i'm not gonna like lose my nana over it so yeah it's we'll we'll have a uh, we'll probably have a more of a discussion about that with tony of um really looking forward to having sure. a, a podcast with tony about that story um uh there is an article on the website which has some of his thoughts about some of that as well. So I have a bit of a and that was good. Um, it was what we, what I kind of thought, and what you guys kind of thought. Mm. I guess that was, you know. Yeah, but we're not talking about Tony and Paul. No offense, Tony. <laughs> um, Paul, we're here to talk about you. Anything and... to avoid talking about myself. Yeah. <laughs> we're here to talk about, <laughs> about those rabbitos story here. Um, <laughs> so, why the Mass Marvel? What makes it so special for you? Uh, I don't know. I, I like the, the, you know, when I was a kid and it, it didn't matter what the story was, like there were certain eras of, of um, writers and artists that you would read a story about, like if it was Spider-Man for me or even Phantom, sometimes it, it was, it, it put you in a, a place that just made, made everything kind of feel comfortable. I don't know, you know, that's kind of a stupid sort of answer there. But, um, you know, like I like the Wilson McCoy stories. There's an innocence to them. There's an innocence to that world, even though you have roughnecks running around and that sort of thing. And, you know, I guess there was just, it just had all those classic kind of phantom tropes in there, the Mr. Walker in the code going to the the nondescript bar with the double doors, uh, meeting the roughneck uh, looking thug, you know, in the Wilson McCoy drawn fashion. I know. love the, the, the perfect stripes of, yes. the, uh, of the trench coat. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine if it was animated, it would be like that classic, you know, trick that they would use. Um, you'd see it in Ren and Stimpy where you would just have a, a, a flat, um, tartan type background and the character would move in front of it um, just to kind of cut down on the animating those lines. I think that would be yeah. But uh, yeah, there's just just something about those aspects that are familiar to a McCoy story. But then it's like, yes, he comes up against gangsters, but it was a boxing story and it was a, uh, you know, it's it. I grew up, I grew up with the Rocky films, you know, so... Yep. I remember my father, uh, my grandfather, my, my dad's dad, he would record videotapes. I, I would too, but he would record them from television, you know. And we're going through his collection one day, you know, he didn't live far from us on the Central Coast, and we came across Rocky and it had Rocky Three on the same tape. 
I don't think it was written on the label. It just had Rocky, right? So I go home and my dad shows me Rocky and I would have been in like high school and I've been doing martial arts for a few years at that time, but uh, I'd never seen Rocky before and I loved it. You know, Rocky, it's not your typical action movie. It's a, it's a romance. It just has the trappings of boxing in there, uh, which is a little bit like, a little bit like this, this, um, this story as well. And then I remember the video stopping and, and it had Rocky three immediately afterwards. And we're like, Oh, we got to go get Rocky two. So <laughs> we, we ran out to the video store, got Rocky <laughs> two, come back. We watched Rocky two. Uh, we, we, we popped pops tape back in for Rocky three and right at the final fight against Clubber Lang, the tape stops. Oh, like, oh crap. <laughs> and we run back to the video store. We get Rocky three. We get Rocky. Yeah, we get Rocky three. We go back. We put on Rocky three. Lo- watch the end. Loved it. Um, and then I, uh, I don't know why. Or we did you watch the whole thing again? No, no. We watched the whole thing again. I don't know why we did <laughs> I don't know why we didn't pick four and five at the time while we were there, but I remember going back to get Rocky four, Rocky five. We found five. Of course, you can find five, and there's obvious reasons why. What, is there a Rocky five? Yeah, we don't, <laughs> yeah. We don't like to talk about that. Um, yes. What's wrong with Tommy Gunn? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway. Rocky in the street. But we couldn't find Rocky four, and I was getting upset that why would why isn't there Rocky four in here? Who who would have hired out Rocky four? Um, with my dad pointing out that well, we're we're looking for Rocky four. So, um, but yeah, I I I loved those films. Um, just that nice guy underdog. I mean, the Phantom's not necessarily an underdog. The 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 charm of the story comes down to the fact that no one has encountered the Phantom before. And they don't know who he is, mm. so he's just underestimated everywhere he goes. And I and I like that. It's kind of fun that that aspect mm. of it. It reminds me of like uh, you know Rambo a little bit, where Rambo's always um, underestimated in a situation, and then you know shows his true colors. Or even even Rocky sometimes, even though he becomes a favorite. Uh, he's always the underdog, of- though. He always ends up being the underdog in some way, shape, or form. You know, yeah. whether it's the the opponent or the circumstances surrounding him. You know, uh, whether it's a physical thing. You know, the Phantom doesn't necessarily have that physical aspect. So in the sequel, you kind of have to, you know, manufacture those elements to it. Which, which to be fair, Lee Falk had in the story. Like he comes up against. Uh, he might have been knocking out guys with one punch, but up till that point where he comes up against uh, Kid Hercules, who is an actual legitimate uh, world champion, um, it's a struggle for him. Uh, or even just being under the lights was a struggle for him earlier when he was fighting Kid Boff. So, mm. um, not Kid Boff, uh, Tiger Toma. So there's, there's, you know, just, just, I think that's what appealed to me in terms of the story. It has kind of everything. He's, he's fighting for a good cause. There's misunderstandings with Diana that could have been explained if he just tried a little harder to explain himself, but he kind of cracks the shits and goes, you know. <laughs> um, you know, and then there was a fun little bit at the end with Diana uh, uh, showing up in the jungle. It's just so implausible. But it, it reminds me of that classic kind of Hollywood movie where he walks in the cave and she's like, well, you know, 
um, what took you so long? You know, it's <laughs> kind of fun. So there's, uh, yeah, I, th- I think that's, that's, it's just charming little story. It's, it's, it's not that it's a hundred percent believable, but there is a certain level of believability to it in comparison to some, some of those other stories at the time. You know? just, yeah. Um, so you, 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 you're a fan of boxing and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, we know it's fiction, but in reading this story and reading some of the, the characters that the Phantom fought, is there any um, like real life boxes that you can kind of see that maybe Lee Falk or Wilson McCoy kind of modelled on? Um, it's kind of tricky. I mean, if you look back at some of those classic fighters of the forties and fifties, like this is this is nineteen forty eight, forty nine when it came out, and and you know the first thing that I when when coming out with the sequel, I was trying to I always try to put the story in the context of the time. Yeah. And, you know, like with Kid Phantom I did and with the Phantom in Vietnam I did too. With with this story, however, you know, Kid Hercules is the world champion heavyweight, right? But at the time, Joe Lewis was coming to the tail end of his 10 to 11 year reign as the heavyweight champion. Um, so the people depicted in the story and as the heavyweight champion itself in comparison to real life didn't correlate, um, which was kind of funny because if, if I, I wondered, I'd, I'd be curious to ask, you know, if we could ask Lee Falk why he chose not to have an African-American heavyweight champion in the same or similar vein as a Joe Lewis. Because mm. it's not like Kid Hercules was a villain. He was mm. a legitimate champion gentleman reminding me of like, I don't know, um, a, a Cinderella man like Braddock. Or, uh, I just recently I just uh, recently watched that movie. It's, um, it was enjoyable again. It's a good movie. Yeah, yeah it's a good movie. It's, it's fictionalised a little bit. Max Bear was not uh, a nasty guy. He was a really nice guy. In fact... His son became Jethro in the original Heavily, uh, Beverly Hillbillies. Uh, <laughs> that's Max Bear Jr., uh, oh, wow. which is a dumb trivia quote that you can use somewhere. <laughs> but I remember reading an article from the family of that and they were a little bit, I remember them saying they were a little bit unhappy about the way that their grandfather or, or whatever was portrayed in that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can understand that because he wasn't a villain. Mm. Um, but it's Hollywood and you've got to take creative license. Um, so uh, to, a long, long answer to you, uh, to what should have been a short answer. Um, I didn't really recognise the boxes per se, um, particularly because Joe Lewis, he had that heavyweight crown for a very long time until he came up against... Rocky Marciano, 1950, and, and, and that was his defeat the uh, first time in, in, in decade. Um, he, at some point, his fights became known as the Bum of the Month Club because he was just fighting, you know, there was, there was no real big fights. Like, when you think about who Joe Lewis fought back in, the, in the, his era, 
that were sort of particularly big fights. Marciano always comes to mind, and that's the fact that he lost it. Um, and his big fights were against um, Max Schmeling, uh, particularly the one at, in World War II, which was the rematch. Um, he may have had some other bigger ones, but I, I mean, as a, as a sort of a, um, a casual boxing fan that's more um, in tune with the Ali era, um, I can't think of them off the top of my head. It's the people of surrounding the characters in the Mass Marvel that reminded me of people around that time, you know, like, and I, and I allude to it in the, in the story uh, as well as the article at the end that kind of clarifies it. So um, I always thought that um, Joe, the, um, the original um, manager, trainer of uh, the original Mass Marvel, looked a lot like Custy Amato, who um, was around at about that in, at that era. Um, Cust is more famous for being uh, Mike Tyson's trainer, uh, who passed away and unfortunately um, probably didn't help Tyson's uh, mental um, capacities and uh, emotional uh, capabilities afterwards when, when he died. Um, you know, and Cust came up against people in the mob as well. I mean, boxing was inherently tied in with the mob at the time, particularly if you fought at Madison Square Garden. Um, it, it was the I, IBC, I think, off the top of my head, um, that, you know, uh, guys like Frankie Carbo, um, who was called the, the, czar, the czar of boxing, he, he, he controlled the sport in, in that sense, you know, a lot of fighters in his pocket. Um, he kind of looked a little bit like um, Pete in the original story, so... That's why I kind of, I don't necessarily call him Carbo in the comic because there's another character called Frank in the comic. So I call him <laughs> Batali because uh, the St. Louis crime family was um, uh, was last named Vitali and he had a, a he had a, a stake in um, uh, a lot of fighters. In particular, he, he had a, 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 in, a invested interest and financial stake in um, Sonny Liston, who was like one of the last boxers of the era that was tied up with the mob um, at the time, which uh, I remember Glenn saying at one point we should put a, a Liston-like character in the book, um, but I thought that perhaps the first African-American um, boxer that the Phantom comes up against shouldn't necessarily be African-American in that regard. Mm. Um, I'd rather do something a, a, a little different and that's, that's partly why it sort of came up with a different um, opponent, which I'll get to later if, it's, if you're interested. Um, oh, so well, yes, it's, it's, yeah. Sorry, what were you going to say, Dan? Oh, just uh, if anyone had tuned into this podcast thinking, gee, I wonder if Paul can explain how he uh, was able to represent the boxing world of that era authentically. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I think any of those questions have just been put to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Goodness me, it's an encyclopedic knowledge. No, 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 so, no, no. I mean, obviously you... Um... No, sorry to interrupt. No, uh, my, my internet's a bit unstable, sorry. But no. um, uh, I was just, obviously you've, um, you have in your story drawn um, 
paid some homage to a, a, a famous boxing promoter of the 1980s. It's fair to say that Don King gets a bit of a, a tip of the hat. Um, what about Primo Galotta? Is he actually based on um, on any yeah, of the boxes? Yeah, so, so I think one of the things I was saying earlier was when I was trying to identify an era, I couldn't. And, and Lee Fox stories are a little bit like that anyway. You can't necessarily identify it as a particular year or a particular era per say um so i kind of treated it as such it's it's a little like uh jim shepherd's stories you couldn't necessarily put it in a particular era or um even the batman animated series that um you know it there's some future elements in it there's some classic art deco in it so it kind of feels old-timey but then it feels modern at the same time so i kind of treated the sequel the same um so um, even though it's kind of set with elements referencing characters of the past, I wanted to, to touch on some of those other characters that are tied in with the boxing world. So, um, yes, the, the, the Ron Caesar character is, is definitely a, uh, uh, a Don King uh, nod, tip of the hat. Um, in fact, he was kind of planted there. That was one of the first scenes I kind of came up with because I thought it would be humorous to sort of figure out what um, what the Phantom would do, do if he was encountered such a, a person. I should mm. have sent you the actual digital files, uh, uh, Jermaine, because uh, I, I, that was one of the things of the comics that I sort of thought, well, you know, the print the print quality and the paper quality is 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 uh, it's an improvement, but I, my coloring was probably made from more of a digital. Um, or a glossy page approach. So, okay. Um, it's unfortunate, but that's okay. Um, so, yeah, I... I so I we're talking about page 40 and 41 here, which if you're on the screen, if you're on... I mean, if you're on YouTube, you can see uh, Joe Lewis on there. These are the ones you're talking about there, correct? Oh, yeah, so you got Don King there. Actually, on the top left page, um, if you look at the guys in the background as... Um, window dressing there's always guys hanging around in pre in these weigh-ins and press conferences from left to right you've got uh, muhammad ali um oh, you're zooming in there uh yeah, yeah. Um, let me find it on my one so i don't stall for you yeah muhammad ali you got teddy atlas next to him with the es uh cn obviously nondescript guy behind there but then you've got joe frazier um Half the head there is a bit of an Oscar De La Hoya. Um, and then, uh, whoops, gone off my screen. What did I press? Anyway. And then uh, next, next to him, um, the big guy in the back with the moustache, that's uh, classic Joe Frazier um, in his first uh, um, boxing stint because he had two careers in boxing. Came back in the 80s and early 90s uh, with the shaved head and the more friendlier Joe Frazier. Uh, George Foreman that we all know. Uh, and then the guy sitting at the, the end there that's cropped off the panel, that's Rocky Marciano. Um, oh, wow. So I tried to litter a few of those characters. So you oh, can we, get um, George Foreman and his grill in on the shot? There <laughs> no, is George there, just no grill. Just George, no grill. This is pre-grill George Foreman. Uh, <laughs> uh, I like it how you got him on the other side to, uh, to Muhammad Ali just in case uh, a rumble. Would, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I do have Ali very curious on the next page looking at the Phantom's uh, 
uh, way in. He's tucked in behind uh, the field. Oh, yeah. That's what I was actually wondering. Yeah. What, what, what have you got him, got him as? Uh, that's a good question. In the original book, he was... Uh, 198 in the, 198 in the pounds, which is yeah. fairly light for a heavyweight. I think these days it would be more considered a cruiserweight uh, or a light heavyweight. Um, I, if I was going to call him, uh, I would have said he was around the 220, uh, yeah. 220 pound. Um, Ali fought. Ali was 6'3". He fought around the the two teens area up to the two 18s, I think, in later in his career, um, as you get naturally denser. Um, so that would be more of a natural uh, weight at that time. I think 198 is, is on the light, very lighter side. I don't even think uh, Floyd Patterson, I think Floyd Patterson, who, was, who looked fairly uh, thin back in the day, was a two, 210. So I don't mm. know. Because yeah, when, when I read his weight in the um, in the original uh, Mars Marvel, thought hundred nine. That to me that seemed light. Yeah, what's one ninety eight in uh, kgs? Uh, yeah, hang on, I'd have to do the math there. I'm thinking oh, it's like it about ninety. Eighties, early nineties. It could be right on bang on ninety. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's quite light. You you would think he would be. Like if you you think about some of the footballers and stuff like that that are you know oh, six yeah. two six three they're ninety five. Having said that though, like you know, again, um, I know boxers of the sort of the sixties and seventies, you know, had better diets, better training regimes as as they developed in time. Um, you know, I was watching football game from the nineteen eighties on my birthday the other day because uh, my parents were around and a mate of ours was playing in an old South game. And uh, we were surprised at how small and, and smaller the football players looked in comparison to today's standards where, where everyone's quite large. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, I think the weights would have adjusted over time. I'm, I'm not privy to that per se. But I do know you had, you know, guys like uh, Jack Johnson, you know, back in the era, you know, turn of the century when boxing was still... Um, you know, unlimited rounds and um, almost bare knuckle in some cases. Um, you know, he was quite a tall man and, and fairly large in that regard, um, which which gets to that other point of who else is in the book, um, uh, that um, Primo Galotta. He's an amalgamation between two large uh, six-foot-seven-ish guys who uh, fought. One guy fought back in the... The Joe Lewis days, uh, you know, um, Primo uh, Canera, who I, I referenced uh, at one point, the Phantom remembers um, Canera because I thought it was funny that, you know, Phantom's fought giants before in other stories. Mm. So, he, you know, this is just another giant that he happens to fight. Yep. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so Primo, Primo fought in the 30s, uh, he was a very, very large guy. I think he had the heavyweight championship for maybe less than a year. Um, um, and then um, Galotta was a boxer uh, in the sort of the late period Tyson era. We're talking 90s. and um, He was a big guy as well, but he was a, a very dirty fighter. Uh, so... 
I actually had one reader who, when when Fru shared the the poster um, of the fight, and you see uh, Primo Galotta's name on the poster, uh, someone made a comment of uh, Phantom better watch out for the low blows, and so he knew exactly where where I was coming from with that, and and in fact, you know, in the story, he's a a dirty fighter as well. A lot of I want to say Riddick Bowe, maybe he fought Riddick Bowe and there was a lot of low blows in that fight to the point where Galotto was winning on the cards and then disqualified himself because he just kept landing low shots. Um, yeah. yeah, he was, um, yeah. There it is, bang. Yeah, so he talks about oh, I fought giants uh, before, <laughs> low blow, headbutt. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. So is there any other, um, like, fighters or Easter eggs or, or, or anything that um, you wanted to kind of oh, highlight? Yeah, while well, we've got the story yeah. up here for the YouTube and we'll talk about page numbers for those. Sure. Well, well this, this on, um, I guess, from page 28, or, well, the, the, the opening of the story from page 27, 28, 29... The conceit was I wasn't sure if the story was being printed with anything else when I first wrote and drew it. Um, so I wanted to give a nice little recap yeah. of the first story. I really just like a bit that. that. were important. Mm. So I did it in the form of the like the old ESPN ringside classic um, docos that you can still watch on KO and there's some on YouTube as well. Um, where it's, um, you know, held in Gleason's gym, but it's spelt uh, differently, G-L-E-A-S-O-N. Uh, and, uh, and I just used anagrams of the real guys. So, like, Brian Kenny was the guy who used to host that show. I just named him Ryan Benny in this. And uh, his co-host, who was a famous um, boxing historian, which you can see there with a the cigar, um, and the little uh, Mighty Mix gym poster from Rocky uh, behind him. <laughs> um, his name was Bert Sugar, um, Bert Randolph Sugar. So I changed his name to Ernie, uh, Bert Manny, and then Sweet. <laughs> Sweet is his last name instead of Sugar. So just a nod to those guys because they used to host all those like 25 classic knockouts or uh, ESPN classics about Sugar Ray Robertson or Muhammad Ali or uh, Marciano or Joe Lewis, um, you know, so they used to host those series. And the 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 ten um, top ten heavyweights of all time uh, was a good one, as well as the twenty five knockouts, greatest knockouts of all time, is a good one as well because they get other boxers in to have opinions, and uh, mm. some of the former opponents still have a bit of uh, a, a, a bit of resentment towards one another i, re I recall um tommy hearns tom the hitman um hitman hearns uh fought um sugar ray leonard which is referenced on one of the covers and he um he and sugar ray get into it on the on the on the doco because uh tommy thought that he won uh which to be fair he did but the judges uh thought differently um so i've got tiger tomer on the show as a former opponent commenting because that's what they do they on the early one they bring in like george Chevalo, the canadian heavyweight that fought him and uh joe frazier and 
um, you know, George Foreman, they bring those guys in uh, and uh, they usually have a little bit of venom. Larry Holmes in particular was very uh, up himself, so he would <laughs> he'd always have something to throw there. He was ranked number 10 on the top 10 boxers of all time, heavyweights, and he thought he should have been one. So, uh, <laughs> you know, so there's a little nod to kind of that uh, yeah. in that lead up to the story. Mm. So it's- um, but they don't know behind the scenes stuff, so it's a good it's a good way to kind of roll into the chronicles yeah. and the phantoms. I, I thought it was really good, and you, as you you said there before, you didn't know if it was actually going to be behind the Mass Marvel original. I think it's, it's read really well, even mm. um, though you haven't planned it necessarily to to read as of the next page sort of thing, um, because it did exactly what you said about highlighting the parts of the original that were important for your plot um, going forward. So where did you, um, like it's a, um, the, the, the plot that you've created for um, the sequel is uh, very much uh, harks back to so many of the original elements, all of the, the, the same characters, lots of sequels, and we've seen it with, dare I say, Rocky Five, like it's just got your main character moved on. We could, you could have done a sequel that was just the Phantom as a boxer again, but instead you've brought forward all of Fork's other characters. Um, can you talk us a bit through that process? Yeah, yeah. I, I th- uh, thank you for the question. I, 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 when I read the story, I identified um, two things that bugged me about the original that were just left threads. One was the fact that the Mass Marvel, the original Mass Marvel, um, gets beat up, put in hospital, and is never seen again. Um, and I kind of wondered what his opinion would have been of seeing someone take his name and legacy, uh, even though he was a prick. Uh, you know, I just wanted to visit what what he was feeling after, like, losing his identity and then someone going on and being successful with it. The other thing that I thought was strange was there was a, like a mob boss, Pete. Uh, I don't know, did they give his offsider a name? I think I just called him Blinky because I was nodding to Blinky Palermo, the other um, um, organised crime figure in boxing at the time. Um, they might have even referenced him as Blinky in the story and it was just convenient. Uh, I can't remember. But... Um, they're sitting there at the fight. They've told him to take a dive. Phantom doesn't listen to anybody and just <laughs> knocks the guy out in one punch. And they go, should we, should we kill him? And he says, well, no, we can't now. He's a, he's a national hero. Like, he's the limelight's on him now. And then you never see them again either. So mm. those were the two main holes I wanted to fill. Uh, yeah. What happened to the original Mass Marvel? And what happened to, you know, Pete did, and the fact that he knows where Joe is, like he sent a guy around to convince Joe to throw the fight. So I didn't think the mob would just take it lightly. Um, mm-hmm. And that was pretty much the conceit of the plot. But really it was like plot mechanics and structure like are one thing, but anyone can do that. Anyone can kind of figure out a plot. And you, and you see it in a lot of stories, but I just wanted to get to the heart of what, what, does a, a, what does a fighter think and go through when they go through that, you know, trial and tribulation of, you know, entering the ring and trying to face someone else that just wants to hurt you. 
and mm. it's a real thinking type of story. I didn't think I would be reading the Phantom's emotions as much or going through it. Uh, it's 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 a real yeah. It's like a there's like that real drama element, and it's more than just a, a fight. There's so much more about it. It's yeah. You, you put it definitely put it, it's you. yeah. It's it's. It's not what I expected when I first when I was going to read. It. I thought, oh, here we go, some boxing, um, <laughs> and and yeah, there's a lot more to it. It it um, I guess it was a chance to kind of inject all the things that you know. I've still got a lot of unresolved feelings surrounding my time competing and. You know, you try to intellectualize another a lot of stuff, and it can be hard. You know, and I, and I see a lot of stuff, and I'm inspired by uh, people like you know Teddy Atlas or you know Ali or Bruce Lee that you know are thinkers when it comes to this sort of stuff. And I just wanted to inject a bit of that into the story. Because if you don't have any kind of conflict or struggle for the main character, then it's it's just boring, you know, and it just becomes a an end then and end then sort of story. Um, so instead, I wanted I wanted there to be ramifications of things that happen. So this happens, but therefore this happens, and then he has to therefore do this in order to overcome it. So there's, but uh, away from that, I wanted it to kind of connect in a number of different ways. So I wanted the, the Mass Marvel to have a little bit of redemption in that regard. Mm. Um, you know, there's a nod to an old Rod Serling, one of the, the guy that created the Twilight Zone. Uh, he One of his first projects that he got up and running was a play and then it was made into a movie, and it was called Requiem for a Heavyweight. So I was trying to resolve um, that aspect um, of the story as well as, you know, um, Until the Final Bell being the main title of the story was uh, a line that Joe said in the original book, you know, where they were counting out the Phantom um, against uh, Kid Hercules and he said, no, not until the final bell. So it's, it's, it's a little bit like life in that way. You know, you might have these things that you try to do and fail and you get knocked down and it doesn't necessarily go your way, but it's not over until that bell rings. So, you know, like the events outside of the ring and like the events in the ring, I was just trying to tie all that aspect together and, and hopefully tell a story that had a little bit of maybe meaning behind it or if someone can get more out of it than just the events that take place in it. So... You know, mm. I noticed the little um, the little sun here um, has a little South jumper on. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't resist. Is that like I was talking to I was talking to uh, Paul Bartlett. He's a fan fan and yes, also South know. supporter. And he says there's a, there's a joke about the guy in the random South jumper or something like that. Oh about, yeah, there's every sporting event in the world. There's always one guy in a random South jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like that's the random South guy. Um, <laughs> he's told me that story a few times, and you know, I remember that story. And then when I see this, 
there's the random South guy. <laughs> yeah, true. But uh, my is. grandfather played for the South in the fifties, um, and uh, so uh, you know, um, my father was born and bred in Redfern, so I, I always have that South Sydney connection there. Um, so is that the same grandfather who um, uh, got you hooked on Rocky? Yes, yeah, same guy. So that's on same page forty nine that we're talking about. Yeah, actually, it's funny. Um, South does have a bit of a boxing connection. Uh, uh, one of the um, fight posters on the back of that cover. I don't think it was cropped out. Oh, a little bit of his name's cropped out. But the, you've got the original poster behind you. Um, the Rocky Marciano versus um, Jersey Joe Walcott uh, poster. Um, Rocky Marciano, when he visited Australia, uh, went and hung out with South Sydney. And uh, there's a photo that my dad has. Uh, it's got a mate of ours in it who played in the 60s for the Rabbitohs, uh, Richie Powell. Um, but Rocky Marciano is wearing a South jersey in the photograph. And the joke was when it, it was in the newspapers in Sydney was uh, South have a new hooker. So, um, <laughs> yeah, that was the... yeah. Um, <coughs> sorry, got a cough. Um, any other guys, any other questions that you've got about the story that I might just take? Yeah, well, I might um, well, you, 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 you just touched on it then, Paul, about your, your little subtitle there about Requiem from Mark's Heavyweight <laughs> and that how it came from an episode. Um, when you're talking about a requiem for Mars Heavyweight, are you talking about the original um, yeah. Mars Marvel? Yeah. 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 So he, um, as you say, in the story, like, you know, I, I have this picture, like when you write stories, and this is something that I've had to particularly learn writing these short ones for the NAMM series, you want to try to get in as, as late as possible and leave early as possible. So, you, you know, you keep, keep it economical as you can. Um, so I imagine that there's different scenes that can get you to certain points in this story, but you don't necessarily have to tell them. Like, for instance, the Phantom getting from the jungles to then Bartana mm. to, um, mm. to visit the gym where he trains. Like, you don't need to see him ride the horse and uh, give the horse to, like, uh, Toma and... And, and, and do all that and get on the plane and stuff like that. Um, I, I envisioned like Joe and or maybe even the mob coming to the original Mass Marvel, who I had to give a name. I couldn't call him Mass Marvel, so yeah. I just called him Marvin Morales. Uh, due, to, due to the region that he would have come from, I pictured him a little bit like a Canelo Alvarez type uh, um, uh, ethnicity. And... Um, yeah, I can imagine him having to perform as this masked marvel fighting against this fight that he's supposed to um, not only lose, but he has to lose in the last round. So he's got to be reasonably fit to do it before he takes the dive. And him just not handling it, there's a lot of triggers there. So we just find him in a bit of a stupor. Um, but by the end of it... Um, hoping that there's some sort of redemption for him at the end and that was, um, you know, mm. um, doing oh. something for the, the local community. Mm. And, 
Yeah, I certainly thought that redemption, and I had to look him up and uh, uh, find out that his name was Marvin. But um, yeah, I, I thought the redemption of Marvin was um, a great way to close the story, um, and and um, it was a real example. I thought that was the moment for me that he became a, a three dimensional character. Like he'd been a very two dimensional character in the in the original, um, and that um, and it, it's not dissimilar. Um, I assume you will have seen this, Paul Cobra Kai, and the redemption of Johnny Lawrence. Um, I think yeah. there's a. That's a good point. I, I now that you, you say that, that makes sense. I, I liked the first season of of Cobra Kai uh, uh, in particular. Um, kind of for me, I felt like the wheels um, like got a bit wobbly for for me in later seasons. But uh, uh, and I could probably just watch an entire season of a show called Crease. Of from yeah. boot camp all the way through to <laughs> through his era, that would be amazing. Um, but no, I, I yes. Now that you point out the correlation, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, oh well, I've, I've literally like just finished um, the season four of Cobra Kai with Gus. We've been watching it uh, pretty much nonstop the last month and a half, so no. it's very front of mind. <laughs> 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 yeah, no, that's great. Yeah. Without the, uh, I guess, uh, yeah, there's a, a similar uh, trajectory, let's say. He's not the yeah. same kind of character, but certainly has that um, uh, redemptive quality. And, and then being a, uh, of a, a particular age, it was no longer about the fighting in the ring um, to prove his worth, but um, doing something for others that, you know, mm. I, I kind of imagine that the fan of talking to him, um, you know, encouraged him to get cleaned up and yeah. show up at that match and interject at the right time, really saving the fan of life, if you think about it, because those gangsters wouldn't have hesitated to fire a few shots up. You know, they would have, like gangsters back in the day, um, Carbo, I think, had killed like at least five people. But they could just never get charges to stick because they owned judges and, and they owned mm. lawyers. They could just make things charges disappear. So it's mm. uh, you know things had to really change and evolve with those mid fifties hearings. Um, you know Jack Jack Lamotta speaking at one of those hearings saying, "Yeah, I took a dive because uh, I was promised to fight the heavyweight uh, for the um, uh, middleweight." Uh, championship, you know, which made him a bit of an outlier, but uh, I never liked uh, Lamotta anyway. Uh, if you've seen Raging Bull, you know the story. So, um, yeah. so are you happy with the the way the story and the comic and, you know, everything's kind of... has Maybe just not the print quality, perhaps? Yeah. Oh, look, <laughs> uh, don't, don't take that as the wrong way. Like, I'm just a perfectionist. Um, so, yeah. you know, I, I was, we know. I, I'm very, I'm very proud of this issue. And I think, and I'm, I'm very uh, humbled and honored uh, that Fru gave the material the, this treatment, you know, full, mm. full color with um, the color story of uh, that Ivan um, Pedersen uh, colored. Uh, um, the, being able to do the front cover because I was originally told it, it was going to be filming actually, I think was going to be offered the cover back in 2019, I, I believe. Um, so it was really nice that they chose that, um, 
which was a, actually just a, a donate like a donation that, um, to the memorial dinner um, as the cover that uh, mm. um, you know I, got I think we've got the original donation somewhere oh <laughs> yeah there it is <laughs> so yeah there's the um let me just pin it so i uh, have some limelight um so yeah so there's the there's the original there so could you just while while we're talking about it um and for the record uh it sold for twenty dollars so that way if my wife ever... <laughs> um, she knows um, the, the kids at westmead are very grateful for your donation paul and uh and jermaine <laughs> um, but that's the original there, and then there's the there's the cover there. Could you just tell us a little bit about the cover and? Um... Yeah, sure. Um, I think it's uh, based on a Dempsey pose, uh, Jack Dempsey, a heavyweight champ, but but a very similar pose that you often see, like uh, back in the day, um, that uh, Marciano. I'm pretty sure I've seen in similar positions. Um, that classic boxer pose. I. Um, Sketched that for fun a number of years ago. I did too, actually, and I think, I think from memory, Glenn owns the other one. Is that with uh, Guren in the back in the background, yes. and he's kind of hunched over? That yes. was another donation at the dinner, and um, I remember yep. getting into a little bit of a bidding war with Glenn over that because Mass Marvel is one of my is one of my favourite stories. That one and the heavyweight champion story. You know, like yep. you, grew up on Rocky. Um, it was like the only R movie I was ever allowed to watch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, loved the movie. Yo, Adrian, just, you know, you know, yep. thought it was brilliant. Um, loved those stories. Uh, and then when I saw that, I thought, oh, that's amazing. Um, and so, yeah, that's when when this came up, I thought, you know, it's mine. <laughs> I'm, you know, and I'm paying you know i'm paying for it um but yeah it's um They're very happy to give 20 dollars for that one. yeah that's it 20 dollars <laughs> well spent it's <laughs> uh, very kind i'm glad that you you, you liked it and it touched on something that you really enjoy i um yeah i was very happy that he even um, like when dudley saw it and said um, whoever wins this send me a scan and I, I i said to him well actually i scanned it before i donated it um so he said, that's the cover. Yeah. Um, so I sent it to him and he said, can you do it in colour? And because it wasn't originally intended to be colour, uh, I ended up um, doing the more painterly route um, in sort of short notice and knock something up. But, um, yeah, I'm very, I'm very touched that they, you know, not only, you know, did the cover, the story, the, little, the article in the back and then put some sort of wanky pictures up that... Um, <laughs> You know, putting there, but the poster and the sketch cover that's just, just icing mm. on the cake. I'm very thrilled um, with the kindness, I guess. I know it's a job, and uh, you know, there's a lot of people that they could have had to do this sort of stuff. So I kind of appreciate, you know, and it's one of those things where, you know, it's it's in it's the flavor of the week, and then the next thing that comes out is the newer thing, and 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 it's sort of moved on and forgotten. But I I really appreciate uh, you know all the little things about it, like even the name on the front cover is very nice. I um um you know that's not something that you often see on a fandom comic, so I'm I'm 
it's very, very kind. I think it was only in. I think it was only the nineteen nineties that they started actually putting um, creators in the in the credits on the story and as well. So, yeah, yeah you're right when you say. I hadn't thought about that, Paul, but you're right. Very rarely does the um, the author get a uh, or the creator get a um, a title um, credit. Do you? Uh, sorry, front page cover credit like that. Um, when you say it's going to be the flavor of the month, but as a sketch cover, it's it's going to float around for a good while to come. Are you going to uh, stock yourself up on a box and, and think of all the different po boxing poses that you can uh, – <laughs> you'll be able to sketch on this forever. I, I, uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I was very pleased with that. Um, and I th think Duncan and I were talking about it and he may have I, – I didn't quite know where he was going with the conversation, so it's nice to kind of – it all sort of click, click into place understanding what was happening but no through very kindly sent me a number of comps so i've got quite a few which i i um you know i, I haven't it's 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 on my to-do list down the track cool. I haven't that far ahead but i did have a couple of people already out and say i would like one i would like one and i'm like whoa slow down i, <laughs> I, I, I will get to you i i, I just finished i did I did uh, uh, four sketch covers for Flock, and I've still got maybe half a dozen Flock sketch covers in existence um, uh, for cons. Yeah. And then to have those is quite nice. And I'm still catching up on some of the bigger A3 commissions for Flock. So when I when I knock those over, I'll be um, um, I'll circle back to those mass marvels. It's 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 very yeah. kind, and I guess it's it's smart for Fru. Um, to have a, a, a pack that, you know, that people can, they might get a sketch cover as a gift or something and then have that material in, um, that might entice them to buy more phantoms. I don't know. I, I um, as I said, I'm, I'm very touched. Uh, you would like think if I only ever have a handful of people that, that penetrate the bubble and, and um, reach out, and say, you know, you do good work. I'm glad that uh, Dudley and Glenn are um, two of those people that like my work. Yeah. <laughs> you, you must be, because um, th there will be other artists now. That now that that's the sketch cover for free, for, you know, history would say probably next 12 months or so, that'll be the one that rolls around. Um, there'll be lots of other artists drawing on it. You'd imagine that lots of um, people who are getting those commissions done will will ask for a boxing pose because it's natural for the story. You must be looking forward to to seeing what other people do with that as well. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, we, you don't really hear. I don't really hear too much from anybody else in through apart from. Uh, you know, Andrew and, and, and Duncan, um, you know, I, I bump into people at the dinners um, uh, and say hello. Um, uh, I, I'll, I'll probably come across them if they post them online. I, I, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm friends with a few people. I just, um, I don't know, I get caught up in my own work and, and uh, people get caught up in their work. You know, uh, I think artists are perhaps shy by very nature or maybe it's just, I don't know, it's, there's, this com there's always that friendly competition that happens amongst certain artists of getting stories and credits and comics and covers and 
it's it's a, to be frank, it's a lot of bullshit I don't want to deal with. So I just deal with mm. whatever I'm doing. So I hope I hope that people don't maybe take it the wrong way or feel resentful that he's a sketch cover of their work and then there's another Aussie name on it or anything like that. I just I'm looking forward to seeing what what happens. I've seen a few come up and there's no nothing related to boxing at all. And I think that's the be part of a sketch cover with Phantom. You can mm. Do whatever you yeah. like and have your own interpretation, whatever. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'll be curious to see if anyone gets any more sort of boxing stuff. And I, I would guess that maybe there'll be a lot of um, the famous Muhammad Ali uh, standing over St. Liston. The um, Phantom Punch. Pose, which, you know, very, very, yeah, the Phantom Punch, ironically, in the name, which is kind of um, funny. Everyone sees it as, a, as, as a, him sort of towering over, but. You know, it was a split second in time. He was actually telling Sonny Liston to get up because he uh, he suspected that Sonny had thrown the fire, which um, to this day is is not a hundred percent confirmed. But it's probably um, you know tried to stay down, and Muhammad Ali didn't follow script. So mm-hmm. you know, it's a it's an interesting iconic pose that gets a lot of. Um, grandeur attached to it in what was a, a sort of a very um, shady moment in sport. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, well. yeah. But I imagine I'll see a few of those. Uh, or just the pose. It's a, it's a na- there'll be a natural pose. Absolutely. Uh, mm. Yeah, very natural. Um, Even well, without this, uh, uh, the sketch cover, cover, though, I reckon, I know you, you, you're saying this is like the favour of the, of the week or the fortnight, but don't say yourself short. Like, this is going to be one of those issues that you know, in a year or two, you're going through, oh, what am I going to read? This would be an issue that I'll take out again and read again. Like, oh, not, not every, like, I, you know, I like just about every issue that comes out, but I'm not going to go back and read them all. This one, I'm going back and I'll be reading it, you know, again and again. Thank, thanks, Stephen. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, look, I hope, I hope it resonates. That's, that's, we always... Well, that's a lie. I was going to say we always do stories that we hope resonates. We're, sometimes it's 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 healthier just to uh, create and do a story for the sake of the the creation and and find satisfaction in the work yourself. And if um, other people like it, it's a bonus. Which is a little mm. bit selfish, but you have to fortify yourself yeah. emotionally when you're dealing with um, died in the all phantom readers who might not necessarily like your take, you know. So, mm. um, yeah, health, healthy adult thinking. That's the <laughs> <laughs> I'm always, what I'm always aiming for, that level of contentness in my work. It's not always there. Uh, but as, I, as I, I said to an audience at a writer's festival recently that, you know, what drives me is often a sense of maybe spite or maybe a little bit of that, mass marvel aspect in the story of well okay i might not have gotten it right this time but i'll get the next time right and then you try again so. Mm. um so i just want to draw everyone's attention to the back cover of free 1925 which is kind of like a the phantom getting ready uh taping up his knuckles and his hands and, and stuff like that there's a couple of little easter eggs uh only a couple uh, hang on, stop talking because it disappears for um, for those who are on YouTube. Uh, let me just pin that one. So you've got uh, Ford versus White, which is the free boxing fight night. Um, uh, so who won that fight? 
Because uh, I, I did hear a story that that Renee uh, did give out some pointers of um, health and fitness and, and fighting <laughs> and stuff like that. So is, is that is he a bit of a dark horse with that one? Less said the better. No, I I <laughs> I think uh, you know that's a that's a hard one. Glenn's probably got the the height, weight, and reach advantage there, but you never discount the underdog. So and um, where's Dudley? <laughs> where's Dudley during this fight? Is he, um, I reckon he Dudley getting himself is, uh, a, a nice office with the two of them um, bashing each other up and he can um, yeah, I reckon get himself D- an Dudley's office? Dudley's at the VIP table. Yeah, <laughs> Dudley's at the VIP table with a, with a nice bottle of red, uh, enjoying the festivities, I would imagine. Um, um, with a, you can't really see it in the comic, but a nice Australian uh, flavour is you got Costa... Costa oh, Stu. Yep, yep. So yeah, is that Judah? I um I remember being at the the club with Dad watching that fight unfold and the place erupted when um, Zab did a hippocampus in the third round. Um, a lot of those fights there, if they're not made up fights or just um, nods to friends, are fights that had some sort of resonance or impact on me, uh, or just famous fights. Not not I couldn't fit them all in. But there is a few there of, of, of boxes and fights that I appreciated in one way or another. The other Aussie uh, nod is uh, Justin the Iceman Frost. He's a, a local fighter who has the Australian title at the moment, I believe. So um, Nice. Now, we do need to talk about um, East Promotions. Um, yes. Now, I heard that he's a little bit dodgy and he hasn't actually yet paid the, um, the fighters. Paid the card? No. Is he the, uh, the, the Bob Arum of the uh, Chronicle Chamber group, is he? <laughs> hang on, hang on. I was going to find something. Now, what's he saying? I refute all accusations, innuendos and insinuations. <laughs> Thank so, you, Ron Caesar. Of course, we're talking about uh, just in the back here where you've got uh, East Promotions, Fraser versus Parker, Moore versus McCoy, Fork versus Barry. So um, uh, Fork versus Barry would have been an interesting one. Um, <laughs> I think if you got them both on their day, they would go at it. <laughs> <laughs> just a, for a random... Sunday Arbor in Central Park and watch me out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then you've got uh, Moore versus McCoy. Um, uh, McCoy was actually older than Ray Moore, which I don't think most people actually realised. I think most people actually thought that McCoy uh, would be the younger of the two, but uh, he was actually older. So, And then, of course, you've got uh, Fraser versus Parker. Um, that oh, one... Billing. Yeah, absolutely top billing. You see, it's in bold and top. It's on, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that one. Maybe twenty years ago, but um, not now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll see. Um, so, are there now? You said that there was a couple of other friends. Were there a couple of other friends on the back here that you just want to give a quick shout out to? Um, yeah, it got cropped off the end there, but I did give a shout out to him at the end of the comic, uh, Gary King or uh, Master King. Uh, or Grandmaster King in kickboxing. He's um, one of my best mates. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, I've known him for years. We've fought on several world championships together. I was a assistant coach to him on a couple of world championship Australian teams. And, uh, yeah, he's just a 
my my best mate. So um, his uh, student, he's actually fighting one of his students there, Luke Watson. Luke, uh, uh, oh, yes. a couple of Australian actually uh, was it would have been the 2007 World Championships as well. He was a he ended up running a Muay Thai kickboxing and boxing school for a little while, and Gary um, has run. Well, he was a, a kickboxer, a Muay Thai fighter. He's trained with the Thais. He's um, um, nominated in the Hall of Fame for the WKA. So he's, um, um, and uh, as, I, as I said, a master instructor in Taekwondo. So he's a, a tough guy, but a heart of gold. So um, he was a, a shout out there. A couple of guys in the bottom there have got a bit cropped off, but um, a bunch of guys I was giving a shout out to in the, um, that train at Corporate Box in Brisbane, um, where I trained for about five or six years before I moved. Um, but the rest are just um, classic fights that I enjoyed growing up, um, you know, and um, uh, I'm a big Ali fan in particular, so they got mm. the notes on the back as well. Um, so that's um, pretty much it for there. But there's a couple on the interiors too, like... Um, in the uh, in the actual gym, which um, the Mass Marvel is passed out on, I've got uh, Mike Tyson versus Donnie Long, and I mainly have that there as it's an in joke for me and my friends because uh, Donnie Long, uh, Mike Tyson was an up and comer. Donnie Long was supposed to be this um, coming back in his career, and he was very very cocky before the fight, and then got obliterated. So um, <laughs> it was always. Uh, amusing to us hence the um shout out there um and then of course um i, I named some australian uh women boxing champions behind um oh yeah talia harris yeah talia harris i um one got cropped out i i couldn't fit in the time uh, shannon o'connell uh, shotgun but she's fighting ebony bridges which is also listed there uh, coming up soon, and then a lot of other women um, champions uh, listed underneath. Um, Talia Harris, her, um, Taylor Harris, sorry. Um, her and her father used to train at Corporate Box in Brisbane as well. So when she visits the area, um, she pops in. But the dad I used to see there every, every Wednesday, uh, hitting pads and doing sparring practice and stuff like that. So mm. uh, she plays. And worth noting the. Um... At the time of writing, I think she played for the uh, Brisbane Lions uh, women's team as well. She's since changed sides a couple of times since then, I think. But uh, but yes, um, local girl at the oh well, obviously local girl. And um, sounds like you knew the gym she was in. Sorry, I'll, yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, yeah, I usually head down, keep keep to myself. Um, surprise, surprise, when I go. So. I, um, <laughs> Didn't talk to her direct, but I said hello to her dad a few times. So I just want nice. to give a little shout out to some women fighters in the back. Mm. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, Steve, Dan, uh, any other questions or anything about that? I've got a couple of generic fan questions we want to probably finish up on. Anything uh, that we haven't touched upon? Or, Paul, anything that we haven't asked you that you wanted to raise as well about this issue? Um, I, I don't. I don't think so. Um, I, I did have a lot. Uh, originally, it was supposed to be black and white. So I'd finished it and handed it in in black and white. And it wasn't until I handed it in about January, February 2020. So it wasn't until 
late last year, I was asked to colour it for the special. <laughs> that was a, a minor challenge because I envisioned more of a Raging Bull sort of grayscale treatment to it. I was about to ask, was that a homage to Raging Bull? Yeah, yeah. So then um, uh, colouring it was a bit of a challenge, but um, just trying to give it a, a scene-by-scene separation and treatment of the colour um, according to the time of day or where it was sort of situated. So. Well, for just an artistic question then, Paul, like if you put it down or sent it in um, and then got it back 18 months later to colour in, um, did you, were you tempted to go back and, and touch up some line work? Did, did, were you critical of your own artwork from 18 months ago or, uh, or did you just go, no, I've got to get this coloured? Well, yeah, I was a bit critical and, yes, uh, there was a couple of faces I touched up here and there, uh, but I didn't, I didn't want to... I didn't want to get lost in the weeds yeah. uh, while I was juggling other work and uh, uni work and stuff. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I um, and, you know, colouring, it was like 24 pages plus. I, I actually went and recolored the the, the um, original story cover, which is the Phantom sitting in the, the locker room sort of thing. Um, so I recolored that, did a bit of more of a painterly um, bits on the Phantom. So I, I try not to, to noodle with it too much. I, I figured it is what it is, but there were a couple of faces where I'm like, eh, mm. I might just adjust that line here <laughs> or there. And the then, perfectionist in you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was, because I was still working on um, uh, other shorts at the time, I think. No, I don't think I was. Oh, I was working on Flock. So I, I, I was, um, I wanted to, have my energies in my own stuff as well. Yeah. So, you know, um, yeah. give this a colour treatment and not get, um, not have to redraw the thing. So Yeah, yeah. No, it's just a unique opportunity. I would have thought that it's not often that you, you get the finished, the, what you thought was the finished work back again to go, um, yeah, well, obviously it's an but um, it would have been such a temptation, I would have thought. But, yeah, it, what you say explains it perfectly that you actually had your own thing that you're more passionate about at the moment, so. Yeah, I, 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 it's not to say that I skimped on it. Um, I no, hope no. that it looks okay. I, I, I just thought that it looked fine, except for a couple of bits and pieces and places. Um, and then I, I got a chance to correct a couple of lines here and there of um, dialogue. If I didn't like what I'd originally said, I, I think I took a line or two out, and uh, or I um, fixed up a typo that I'd spotted years later. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> if I if there's more typos in there, I'll be very disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, before I forget, I uh, just need to give a bit of a shout out to Mikel Lick, um, who's got a bit of a mention in the in the in the credits as well. He was quite chuffed about that one. So, um, oh, that's nice. No, um, I, I appreciated the um, the cross referencing um, when I asked you if you knew knew of any boxing stories, and you said that Mikel had. Had, um, you'd put your heads together. I thought it'd be polite to um, mention his name there, and of course, because I relied um, a bit on that Phantom Wiki, I mentioned uh, Marco as well. Except mm. I think uh, Phantom Wiki's gone quiet for quite a while. So I'm, uh... Uh, yeah, there's a little bit of update on that, but we'll save that for the uh, next comics and news uh, podcast. Um... <laughs> oh, but it's um, just get some. <laughs> Get, get the listeners interested, eh? Keep coming yeah. back. Uh, Dan or Steve, anything? Uh, Dan, Steve, anything you just want to quickly add or 
I've got a couple of other questions. Oh, mate, if I if I keep talking about Mass Marvel, I'll have nothing right. to say when we do get to review it in the comics and news. Um, <laughs> anyone who's listened to our podcast would know that can never be true, Dan. <laughs> but I like that. It means like <laughs> on my drive to uni in, in uh, with uh, traffic, I, I've got quite a bit to listen to, and then I can <laughs> it later. There is a pause button, so there is Easy. a pause button. So, Paul. One of the things I love about boxing is that they always have these weird, cool names. We've got, you know, the Thriller in Manila. You've got um, the Hitman. You've got all these type of names. What would your fight name be? Oh, um, I, yeah, it's funny. I, I've been called um, the Punisher, uh, you know, sometimes in those days. Uh, or Conan, the Barbarian. <laughs> I remember in, uh, yeah, in 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 the World Championships, uh, like in the lead up to some of those, I'd be like when we had like a time to wear like just a t-shirt. I'd just chuck a t-shirt on. I'd I'd have like a Punisher skull on and and do my sparring training with that on. So uh, the Punisher. I think Gary's actual fight name was the Punisher as well back in the day. Um, uh, what was the other one? Oh yeah, Conan. I remember doing the uh, the whole the big X thing in the uh, <laughs> 2007 Worlds uh, because they used to because I would do the Schwarzenegger impersonation in training. Um, I remember uh, some of the supporters in the crowd yelling out, "Paul, what is best in life?" Uh, <laughs> so it'd be, uh, there was that, um, or um, what was the other one? 2013, I think it was a, a – we just watched that movie uh, Dread, which was the Judge Dread uh, reboot, and uh, we would had we were in team sparring against the Irish team, and the first round um, one of our fighters got absolutely poleaxed, like punched around the ring and, and um, put under the judges' table, and the referees were reminded me of the WWE referees. It just seemed to be anything goes <laughs> – you know, it was almost like uh, in boxing, the equivalent would be like Frank Cappuccino uh, in a Tyson fight. It's just you always suspect that maybe the other fighter owes him money or tried to date <laughs> his sister because he just wouldn't stop the fight. You know, so uh, I was quite frustrated. I looked at the coach and I just said, send me in. So the next fight, they put me in with this guy is like 6'6 six, six, and uh, no respect. Like as soon as they went like, go. He just ran at me doing what they call the Irish blitz, where it was just left, right, left, right, left, right. Um, so I just stepped back, jab, jab, uh, cross, and then a left hook. And he let out a little whine. And then um, just like, you know how you see, like I've had some people fall back like a starfish or like a tree in a forest. This guy like, like just went limp like, a puppet had its strings cut and he just slumped into the mat. Um, so once I was sent to the neutral corner and then he, they came to and uh, I, I won the fight. Um, I walked over to my coach and I just whispered in his ear, judged and sat back. <laughs> 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 I was very upset at that tournament. 
Uh, I'd had a, ba- a bad draw in the individual events. You know, I came up against the gold medalist in the second or third round, and it was just unfortunate. Um, and this guy that I'd melted into the mat, he was the bronze medalist of the tournament. So I was sometimes it's just the luck of the draw of what happens on the day, but I got my chance to have a little bit of my own redemption. So um, <laughs> Judge Dredd would be the other. This is like the longest answer to the shortest like, question. <laughs> I apologize, but. I figured since we're on the topic, a story that popped in my head when you said the question. So. Well, it's good to give the name uh, context. <laughs> Fair. So, Steve and Dan, what would your names be? Oh, my uh, wet blanket. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon. I reckon it would just be in that case. It would have to be Dan the man. <laughs> yeah, oh look, better say I get that around. <laughs> and and Steve, um, I don't know, Wicked Witch of the East. It's a bit of a um, <laughs> that's not bad. Steve, but, um, well, <laughs> I, I was, I've always been, a, I've been a WWE fan for ages, and so, yeah. um, and when I moved down to Melbourne for a while, I was renowned for being able to drink, and so I got called the Slab for a while. So that was my wrestling name. <laughs> I like that. So um, whenever whenever I make my character up on you know on the WWE games, I call him the slab. The slab. But um during yeah. high in high school when I was playing footy, um they'll call me the ice man because I'll go through him like an ice pick. Just there you go. <laughs> so, I like that. Um mine would be the Germanator. The <laughs> Um, yeah, okay. Let's set about some of those names. We'll move the um, So, Paul, do you reckon if, like, would the stone for you, would that be a, a strong name or uh, Paul the Stone Mason? Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Chip off the old rock. Cool. <laughs> Don't know why I never came, never thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> we used to. Mate of mine, uh, Luke, actually Luke Watson's name on the back there. We used to call him Mr. T um, and we'd say like it's tea time when he'd go into <laughs> the ring. And uh, we always would say like when I'd hold the pads, I'd go like one lump or two. And that was <laughs> <laughs> Very dumb. But anyway. Yeah, have fun with it. <laughs> um, yeah, you got to play. No worries. Well, that um, yeah, that was different. I don't think uh, we've ever talked about something like that on the podcast before. Um, so, Paul, so these are just some generic non-Mass Marvel uh, questions uh, sure. as we're finishing up. Um, now, you've written, or you, you know, you've been involved in some of the Kid Phantom, uh, the boxing ones, uh, Vietnam. Is there any other? story that you want to write of the phantom is there like a, a story in you that i don't know whether you've been bouncing around or whether you've already pitched it or or just something that is like you know one day this is the story i'm going to write or the story i'm going to draw um yeah i i when i was reading um some of the boxing stories, I, I thought the crybaby would be a fun follow-up to do. Yeah. Uh, I liked the crybaby. Um, the uh, I'm doing a at the moment 
that's I'll just say it's 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 probably a uh, it's it's an Australian set in Australia. Um, I don't. Oh, know you've already it. sold out of you've already sold extra copies of that. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know yet. Like it's a bit different. It's a it's it'll probably be like a meat pie western. Um, so I'm slowly putting that together. Uh, but I, I think I'm going to give it to him in parts. So it'll be like, sh- at, like does it include the Emmy Wars by any chance? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I have a list here of like, you know, stuck up on the wall of all the the proposed stories to do for that Vietnam series. Uh, that um, I think Duncan's the only one that's seen it. I um, um, so that's kind of my my priority there but i i'm always reading old stories and then if there's little things that i come across if i don't think it's something that i could possibly touch on within the context of vietnam um like i did with uh, uh actually there's a couple of stories that haven't come out yet that have um ties to older stories um but there, there's other there's other stories I wouldn't mind following up in, in my own way. Um, but a lot of a lot of my brain power is in that Nam series at the moment, yeah. wanting to eventually get that into the trade form. Yeah, that would be awesome. It'll take a while. It'll take a while, I think. But um, you know, it was I had a nice conversation with Glenn and Dudley and and, and Duncan and that. Um, I think Jermaine, you're probably in that conversation um, where I inadvertently pitched the last Vietnam story, um, and every and they all said, "Whatever you got to do to get to that, just do it. Take your time." Mm. Um, it was like you just got green lit, like they just green lit whatever you wanted to do. Just, just do it. <laughs> it nice. was, um, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's probably a good lesson for some of the other creators out there. Take uh, Glenn and Dudley out. Get them absolutely plastered. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't my intent. It was just that um, I think the, it all came out of, I wasn't even there to pitch. It just came out of a question of um, did, you, did you think something with the Phantom in the Ukraine would be appropriate? And I explained why i didn't but i also explained how i would address that and it ties in with the ending of the vietnam war mm. so um, oh, well. uh, from that uh, we're off to the races so i will get there eventually but there's quite a few things but the beauty part is that i've got bits that kind of touch on characters from lee folks um you know whether it was a cy barry character or a or a wilson mccoy or, or whatever you know, where yeah. it's appropriate, you know, I'll get there. So, so yeah. I guess a long, another long answer, apart from the crybaby, which is immediate in my head, um, you know, there's actually a couple of Team Phantom and there's a character, um, the Birdman of Bengali. I wouldn't mind touching oh, on him. Oh, yes. You know? Yes. Um, he was a great, he was a great, he was a great character. Great character, yeah. And it would be right up your alley as well, the whole, because yeah. you are a Birdman yourself. Yeah, a little bit. So really a fun. little bit. <laughs> yeah. A little bit. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, no, that would be because we've seen the end of the Birdman, but we haven't seen the first or the previous interactions with the Phantom. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. There's always ways. That's what it's like. That old question of like, oh, who would win in a fight between like you know one you know Hulk and Superman, and and the answer is always whatever the writer decides on the day. You know. <laughs> Yeah. So it's no, no, that, an angle. Yeah, no, that, that that's good. And for the record, uh, your pitch it was really good. Um, and, I, and I know it didn't start off with a pitch, um, but no, it, it was just me telling the story of what I had in my brain. Yeah, yeah, it was it was really good. Um, I had to promise. You know, Dudley did say to me. He said, "Jermaine, you don't. You're not recording anything that's we're talking about." And I'm going, "No, I'm not recording it." But I wish I did because there were some brilliant <laughs> uh, conversations that were had uh, and, and the pitch as well. Um, so no, thank you for that. Um, it was a good. Yeah. Now, I, I guess while we're kind of talking about that, what what are some underutilized elements of the Phantom that you would like to see? visited more or revisited or explored further whether that's by yourself or by other creators oh uh, for example duncan talked about the jungle patrol that was i remember that yeah 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 that was a good conversation and i really uh i remember i called him uh after i'd uh, uh after i'd listened to that podcast and uh, uh, and I and I said that I really liked his thoughts on that. Um, yeah, because uh, I kind of agree. Like, there's elements that you can address there. Um, that when he was talking about satellite tech in particular, I did have a story I pitched, but after the fact, I realised that maybe the reason why it wasn't gravitated towards, like. The, the character's been around for so long. I I know that there's heaps of stories I haven't read. So sometimes parallel thinking occurs and you come up with something that's already been done and you mm. just didn't know it. Like that, that the Vietnam story was a short story I pitched in and amongst a number of different short stories. One of them was like, you know, if I'd, if I'd had read The Flame, for instance, I wouldn't have pitched it because it's exactly the same. Like, oh, what if the Phantom became the thing that he hates, you know, pirate? And then I'm like, oh, yeah. Um, and then, and then um, the, the Jungle Patrol thing, I, I remember doing, it was, a, I pitched a sequel to the, or a follow-up to the Goggled Eye Pirates, um, uh, which was always a cool visual to me. Mm. Uh, but there's aspects of it that I remember seeing uh, like a later Sunday strip um, what was the name of the artist who was very inventive with the layouts of the oh Edward Barada uh, the strip I don't know if you that's him yeah so there was a story with uh, uh, the, the the was it the the falcon uh, not the falcon the um, the nomad it was either the nomad or the python it was the nomad and he had that uh, and Mr Walker was like in and amongst his um, tactical group that were were. Kind of yeah, shadows, shadows ruin. I think it was, and basically they were hunting the phantom, and he was the god. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So, so I, I'd, I'd pitched a story with um, it was the goggled-eyed pirates because if you remember that story, they found out a lot about where the phantom is and, and all this sort mm. of stuff. 
and the law behind it. So I figured he's in prison and he's got a, he was a man of resources. So he probably ended up um, paying for a, a, like a private group, um, special forces, ex-special forces to go and um, infiltrate the deep woods. Um, but the, the visual was, um, you know, the bandar were picking them off one by one <laughs> without the guy, the lead guy realising. So by the time that he emerged out of, from underneath the, uh, the waterfall and he looks to his left and his right and he can't see any of these other mm. teammates and there's just goggles floating in the water around him. Oh, that's cool. Um, that was sort of the idea I was sort of looking at. Um, but I managed to use some of the, those elements of what eventually happens in that story in one of the NAM stories I handed in recently. Um, okay. So it's, um, you know, you did, there's, there's always, even if stories aren't sort of picked up or um, there's elements that you find that, you know, you always find the elements that might be different and then you can recycle them elsewhere um, if, if, if they so fit. Yeah. You, know, you might write a line of dialogue or draw a particular panel that you go, I really like this, but for this story, it doesn't work. So I might save it till somewhere else. Yeah. But in terms of anything else underutilized, I don't know. I haven't quite come up. I haven't gone back through all the old stories to kind of see. I, I thought some of the visuals of the original um, first Phantom, um, I'm sure that someone's done a series, if, if not Team uh, Phantom, and I would have imagined have done more stories with that character but i thought that there's some interest there um, um yeah I'd, I'd have to think harder about it i suppose um i just take it as it comes in that regard yeah. no worries um so a question that uh, i like to ask a lot of people is how do we get new fans now where not young anymore, the four of us. Uh, we like to probably still pretend we are, but we're still, for a, lot, for a lot of, if you look at the demographic of a lot of fans, we're still classified as young Phantom fans, which when you're nearing 40, it's not really a good sign. So how can we get some new fans? How can we get some readers? What can we do? And then without annoying people that pay your bills, how can the publishers and how could KFS do it? Um, look, that's, that's a tricky question. I, 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 I'm a, a firm believer of what John Cleese often says is that nobody knows anything. <laughs> so it's all about that aspect to things, you know. Um, there was a lot of things that I remember Duncan saying that I kind of agreed with. Like in... in my thoughts in terms of Australian comics is, is not necessarily a problem with the material. It's just a problem with the, the culture of reading comics to begin with. Like there's a more of a, a larger culture of, of comic reading in other countries. You know, the problem isn't necessarily is it black or white or is it colour? Because manga is one of the biggest selling things in the world and the majority of that's black and white. So mm. I always feel like that argument is a bit nonsense as well. Um, having said that, it depends on the country as to what they gravitate towards. So I get that as well. But you know, even art style, like, and, and I'm and I've had my fair share of critics when it comes to art style because of 
the Kid Phantom run, um, which, you know, really the criticism came from the older audience that it wasn't made for. Um, I went to a book week this week down at the school in Corumban and they've been circulating Kid Phantoms in the classrooms of Year 5 and Year 6 kids. So, you know, the, it's not necessarily... Say, I think it's just a, a cultural and, a, and an advertising issue, you know, because Marvel and DC have the same dramas, and I think their corporate overlords also have similar concerns that they end up just using the material uh, IP development um, for the material that they know is going to sell, which is primarily, you know, subscription services for their television stations, um, um, movies, and video games. So. It's a it's a difficult dilemma. It's I think sometimes it could be the the product itself. So if there if there was someone with a lot of money and very um, willing to throw it away into an incinerator, um, who is is willing to try and change the culture or at least tap into a, a certain part of the demographic or the market in some way, like just find your niche. I mean. The, the, like uh, there has to be some percentage of of people that would be interested in reading the material if they know where to get it and maybe even more of a easier access to it so a reintroduction to a proper digital um, platform to do that and I don't think comicsology is the the key right now because they kind of nuked themselves um, I think that's the only way to kind of get that, you know, um, audience remembering what it is and seeing the product and, and sampling the product and, and um, getting involved in that regard. I don't know. It's a complicated problem that's mm. multi-pronged. And there's, yeah, there's no one silver bullet as well. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think... Uh, you know, it is a generational thing. We all know this. We know that what helps it is is the hand-me-down aspect to the character and the nature. I think something successful in the popular zeitgeist would definitely help um, because even if there is no direct correlation between um, sales of a particular book and, um, you know, a movie coming out, um, generally speaking, though, if the movie's very good and they make another one, you know, it starts to catch on. And then um, there's always a sort of an uptick in that product. You know, DC have a myriad of different characters, but when it comes down to it, you know, anything that's not Batman doesn't necessarily sell for them. And generally speaking, the Batman movies tend to be of better quality. Um, and then, therefore, the books attract better writers and better artists and it all sort of has that cascading effect um, perhaps something similar in regards to um, the phantom would be great um, but we don't necessarily have that driving force behind it it's it's a you guys know better than, than anybody that um, you know you, it's hard to to just sort of sit on an IP and license it out as opposed to maybe putting some investment behind it. But maybe that's asking bitch, you know, throwing their IPs become successful and then 
ultimately on the on whether they release things or do more stuff. I mean, look at look at um, Discovery. Warner Brothers Discovery this this last couple of weeks where they axed the release of a couple of big films that were almost finished for more, more nothing more than a tax write off rather than seeing oh. if the material is good How or sad is able that? to generate more readers. Oh, you'd oh. Be, if you worked on the film, you'd be gutted, you know, or mm. the films, I should say, because there was a few of them. So it's, um, you know, it's it's like South Sydney, for instance, They first when they first got kicked out of the comp and then brought back, you know, it was all great, but then success or lack of success on the field didn't generate any interest in the property. Uh, or in the the team, until you had someone with a lot of influence and a lot of cash willing to lose a bit yeah. of it in the in the interim, in order to pull it out of where they were and get it to somewhere successful in years to come, uh, which was like Russell Crowe and, and Peter Holmes Accord, and then uh, uh, now like James Packer is involved and, and that sort of thing. Um, you know, and they turned it into a professional outfit. They put effort into the quality uniforms and the, the suits that the players wear, the merchandise and the, the material that's put out. You can't necessarily just license it to any old people and, and, and expect that it's going to catch fire in one area. You need to be multi-pronged in that regard. So it's, it's tricky. Um, yeah, I've seen publishers in Australia start off and then after a while realise that they're, they're not reaching their audience even through the news news agent system, which is an outdated system. I mean, Marvel and DC haven't been there in nearly 20 years. So it's, um, uh, it, it's hard. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So do you, think, and- do you think having a US publisher would um is important and is key obviously they got to do the job correctly like you know moonstone did a good job you know and then herms with their new stuff and then even dynamite with their new stuff was very hit and miss i don't know i i i you know like marvel and dc aren't selling the the amount of numbers that they used to years ago um when you think about it in terms of comic professionals, how many positions are there really in the American comic book industry? Maybe 200, 300 people at most have, have gigs and maybe only a handful of those, if that, are top-tier talent and everyone else is just scrounging for, you know, um, mm-hmm. a, a position somewhere, you know, it's difficult where, where editors have moved around and, and publishers, uh, you know, I mean, what I, like, I perhaps would see it as maybe even like a, and this, and I don't, and I'm not saying this just because I did Kid Phantom, but like Scholastics, for instance, sell millions of copies of like Dogman and, and those Catman things. And not to disparage the work, because I believe that the art direction must match the context of the work and the audience that it's pitched at but it looks like it's made in crayons and it's drawn like a child has drawn it. And it yeah. resonates with a kid because it's aspirational in that regard. You know, yeah. Rob Liefeld's work for, for, for better or for worse in, in American comics is very similar, 
because it's aspirational for those young kids that can draw similar to that style. Um, so maybe it's not necessarily a comic publisher per se, but more like a, a one of your, your classic book publishers that can reach a younger audience through mm. schools and school magazines or, or something along those lines. Yeah. Um, that's that's where... Maybe um, even a, a Japanese publisher. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's where it must have been a surreal experience to sorry, Paul, to jump in, but it must have been a surreal experience to go to a book week um, where your your comics are, are front and center. Can you tell us a little bit about that? The the trip to the school this week? Oh yeah, so that 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 was fun. That came out of um, a project a project club attached to the school. Um, it's run by volunteers who are ex teachers and and this uh, lovely lady named Sandra uh, contacted me while going through the Writers' Centre, uh, oh, not the Writers' Centre, the uh, Writers' Festival guests. Uh, I was asked to be a guest on a comics panel at the Writers' Festival this year, and I think they, they might have seen that from either a class that I'd done at the Queensland Writers' Centre last year or maybe even... Um, through getting that award for the Vietnam story um, uh, for the uh, Ledger Awards uh, a couple of years ago in the pandemic. So I think it all sort of cascades from there. But they they asked if I wanted to, you know, drive down to the school and, and do some classes and where could they get the books. So I gave them through his contacts and I believe the club um, ordered some books um, just a handful, and I brought. I left a few with them. I left them a, a trade paperback. Uh, I think I left an issue nine and ten, um, and uh, and an issue of Flock. And um, uh, the Flock Kickstarter came with a process book of how it was made, which I think they were really um, happy to to have. And I also gave out a couple of Phantom comics because I heard there was a few older Phantom fans that would have loved to have come along. But they, they, you know, they were no longer able to leave the house. So I signed a, a couple of copies and sent them off. And one young kid got pulled out of class early, and he was very disappointed. He, so I gave him a copy of um, the Phantom in Vietnam, uh, 1905, because uh, we were talking about Terminator before the class started, and I pointed to that motorcycle scene uh, because I loved the Terminator as a kid. Um, <laughs> so oh, very cool. So, so yeah, that was a fun day. Um, Showed him Cheezel in the comics. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was nice um, to have kids that the comic resonated with. Like even even earlier in the year when I was at the um, um, Brisbane Oz Comic Con, the homegrown, we we there was no um, guests. It was uh, Jamie Johnson and myself were in the comics booth, um, and the the number of kids that came up with not kid fandom but just that regular 1905 issue that said that they enjoy these stories um that was nice so it's not like it's not happening yeah. i know that there's young fans out there that are eight nine ten year olds who are who are finding it somehow um we just need more um connection to that and it's going to take it would take a lot of money and a, and a lot of time not just um, Facebook, unfortunately. So yeah. It's tricky. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's let's ensure that through master Facebook first, and then they can go on to the others. Absolutely. <laughs> I 
Look, as I said, I've always admired Fru for being um, uh, industrious and punching way above their weight. Mm. Um, and, and I hope that, that fans here don't take that for granted, like the work that like Glenn and, and Dudley and the Fru crew uh, Renee, you know, have that connection to, um, you know, the work that they all uh, do to keep things running. Like I said it to Glenn at the dinner recently because I nominated him for a platinum award and nothing ever came for it to it. Um, but I said, I hope people realise how, you know, valuable you are, not only as a, as a phantom creator in his own right, and who's very, very humble about it too, um, we joke about everything being signed by him, but when it comes down to it, like he doesn't ride, he, he, like he's always pushing other creators forward. And just mm-hmm. listening to like um, Danny uh, Picciotto's speech and several other artists um, previous, like, you know, th- apart from America where you have the opportunity to touch base with an editor and, and get work, like to have someone at a con say, I like what you're doing. Would you like to do a cover for us? Like that doesn't happen in Australia. You know? Yeah. Like that's why there's so many, uh, you know, uh, fan artists putting out prints at a, at a con because one, it's easy. And two, you know, there's no litigation or, or you know, you're not going to have issues with people wandering around. So you can kind of, it's kind of a little bit like the Wild West in that way. So it's, so to have someone like Glenn who sort of champions local creators in that fashion and, you know, puts people forward, and, you know, professionals like Jason Polos and then like up and comers um, or people that haven't worked like, you know, like Grange was a, a, an illustrator in, um, in other fields and was um, translated over to doing covers and stuff like that. Like, you know, that's, um, I think that's pretty rad. Um, so I, I, I appreciate what, what Fru try to do with the limited mm-hmm. time. How that also, you got your, like, your real young upcoming ones like Alex Tripp and, and, and stuff like oh, that yeah. as well. Yeah. Lo- lo- lovely people too, you know, like mm. it's nice to, to meet them and, and touch base with them. Um, and I like, and what I particularly liked too is seeing a lot of the um, the female um, artists yeah. front recently with the, the uh, covers as well. Uh, I appreciate the fact that Glenn gives Amanda an opportunity to do some work um, and flex her her. Um, you know, her writing and, and cre- like her editing, um, you know, because her, her degree is in public relations and stuff like that. She's very savvy and um, doesn't get to use that skill set very often. So, um, you know, she's an asset to what I do with my work, you know, make sure that my sentences make sense. And, you know, and, then, and then to have people like Dudley who, who wears his heart on his sleeve and is very astute, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I'm very appreciative of, of all that in regards to what we're all trying to do. I think it's 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 difficult given the the nature of the character, being around for so long but not having that um, um, background that the Marvel or the DC characters have. But uh, you know, I, I think that if there, it is a testament to these guys still pushing, yep. uh, and still still injecting some sort of life into it going forward. So. Exactly. Yeah. Completely agree. Um, Dan, Steve, anything else you just want to add or, or, or ask about Mass Marvel or, or anything else generally? Mm. Paul, anything that you wanted to quickly say? Anyone you want to say thanks to or a shout out? Uh, 
Um, well, I thank you guys. I, um, I, you know, to, to give us a platform to, to discuss this stuff and um, reach other like-minded people. Um, it's, it's very kind. Um, and uh, pleasure. You know, reviewing the work as, as well, you know, and um, there's always um, um, smart things to say about the work. Actually, now that you mention it too, I, I know that uh, you were talking earlier about uh, if there was things that I thought were underutilised with the Phantom, I just want to circle back to Andrew Constant's um, robot Phantom. I, I think there's something there. I know it rubs people the wrong way, but uh, there's plenty of potential there. But to anyway, be I honest, I actually, I actually think that story has been received better than what I think a lot of um, a lot of people actually expected. I think people expected that to rub a lot of people up and get a lot of people upset, but people are kind of like, yeah, I think I, you know, like people are a lot more open to it than what I, I what I assumed. And it's different. And, and like, like uh, Duncan sent regarding continuity, like even Lee Falk didn't let continuity get in the way of a good story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look at the the mass Marvel I, I talked about in that in the article that this story inherently breaks the character. If it was to follow continuity, the next story and subsequent stories would all be busted because he's the most famous man on the planet, the mm. world heavyweight champion, um, fighting gangsters and pirates. Like it's just... Yeah, I'd be like, oh, oh, before you punch me, can I, can I get you to sign this for me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like I said in the, in the article, like, It'd be like you're trying to rob a bank and then all of a sudden, like, you know, WWE's Hulk Hogan busts in the wall. <laughs> Put that gun down, brother, you know, and then, like... You know, just, like I'll tell you something, Gene. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so, um, uh, yeah, it'd be bizarre. Like, I actually, in my head, I've, I've always wanted to do a story where Muhammad Ali wears a suit and tie and goes around and solves crime. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so, just, anyway... But yeah, like like that's the um, but it doesn't even like the heavyweight champ like that's a a fun story a bit rapey, um, but doesn't address this particular story either. It's just mm. it's self-contained in itself. So I feel mm. like there's room for those sorts of stories, provided that you don't get too hung up on where does this sit. You know, continuity is fun, um, and I myself know that I I. I walk a very fine type rope with like the Vietnam stuff, but you just, I feel like if you can just accept that this, this guy has this longevity through the ages and it's updated for the, the next audience that comes along um, and you just enjoy the story for what it is, then, then you have a much better time than pulling your hair out saying, Oh, this doesn't work. You know, it's the, uh, it's the problem that Marvel will have with Peter Parker. That's why they, you know, it imploded his his marriage and and then for years it's always that, well, they won't, they get back together again or they won't or maybe they will and then they won't and then Dr. Octopus is back again. You know what I mean? So it's always yeah. that that never-ending nature of comics being in a perpetual act two. Hmm. So every now and again it's nice to see the final act and see what it might be, you know, just for, for what it is. Otherwise we'll just get repetition of, um, 
origin stories over and over because usually those are the stories that resonate the most with people. Yeah. But the, the beauty part about Phantom is that there's at least 22, 23 people in the costume that we know of that mm. we can tell different stories about. You know? Yeah. 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 Well, I appreciate your time uh, tonight, Paul. Um, mm. appreciate your thoughts about um, Mass Marvel, about your love of uh, boxing, um, but also of the Phantom and, and then talking, you know, a lot about nothing, but a lot about something. Um. <laughs> yeah, true. I, uh, I apologise. The problem is, gents, that I, um, I rarely talk to anyone in a day apart from, you know, Amanda. Uh, so you've caught, you, you catch me where all my internal thoughts are just speaking <laughs> That's all right. That's what, that's what this podcast is all about. It's, we, we get a lot of comments that it's, as you would expect, a conversation, you know, at a coffee bar or at a bar or where it's just mates chatting, phantom, chatting stuff that you enjoy. And that's the way we try and do this podcast because that's about all we're good at. We probably couldn't do it <laughs> anyway, anything, anywhere else. So thank you, Paul. Um, if you enjoyed this uh, podcast, we are on our website, which is chroniclechamber.com. Uh, if you want to email us or if there's any questions that you um, – uh, that we haven't asked, you can email us at chroniclechamber at gmail.com. We're on social media. Uh, we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, before I go any further, Paul, do you want to let the audiences know how people can find you? Yeah, um, you can uh, Google me. Uh, <laughs> you can just, uh, <laughs> no, you can just go to uh, masoncomics.com.au um, or my um, uh, social uh, media stuff is on there as well uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook um, not on TikTok uh, <laughs> can't dance uh, but uh, yeah so if you do want to uh, look at some pages and of different projects and things and information, videos, past interviews and bullshit um, my website's a shrine to my wankery um, mainly there <laughs> for when I, um, because university requires you to interact with your community and, and um, <laughs> uh, have a presence and have some sort of presence with your work. Um, so that was a perfect uh, excuse to have all that bullshit up there. So. <laughs> well, thank you, Paul, very much for interacting with us. As, as said, no, I hope that ticks a box for you at uni. <laughs> looking forward to I am looking forward to seeing the like the, the hints you've dropped there about Nam stories um, coming. I do enjoy seeing those when they come, so looking forward to that. Chapter two of The Flock as well. Um, can't wait to see that one. And, and I'm really excited about the uh, the crossover Terminator story you've kind of pitched there where Ro Robot Phantom battles Skynet. So looking forward to that one. <laughs> That's cool. I should, um, um, I should also shout out, um, Jermaine, you mentioned that other Kickstarter. Um, that was for Talgard. Uh, another Gestalt book um, that Flock of the, is the uh, Gestalt is publishes Flock, but the uh, a book with a lot of uh, actual uh, fandom cover artists in, in that um, book as well. So like uh, Lauren Martin uh, Marshall, sorry, and uh, good Perth, uh, Perth girl. Either the first or this chap has. Uh, yep, uh, Gary Challoner, I believe, is in that book too. Um, 
Tim McEwen, who some of the Phantom readers will know of, yep. uh, and uh, a few other uh, creators in there of, um, of note, both um, up-and-coming, established internationals as well. All have done little short four pages um, in um, Gary Paradley's um, Barbarian uh, anthology featuring the character Talgard. So if you're familiar with uh, a rich kid uh, book that I did, the colorist works on that as well, Justin Randall. So, uh, yep. That's so Justin Randall is actually my one of my uni uh, lecturers. Ah, yeah, cool. At Curtin? Um, yeah, at Curtin, uh, over here in Perth. Um, yep. Yep. So, yeah. Oh. Um, oh, and then Tim McEwen, I believe from memory, he was actually a guest at a Phantom uh, Lee Ford dinner, like like back yes. in the early, early, early days before I was uh, before I attended to any of them. Yep, yep, that's it. Uh, uh, artist on uh, Greener Pastures in Australia. Yes, he's got the hardest to find Phantom card, which is the bull dressed up as the Phantom. Um, yes. And I think that's because he got all copies, and then he sat on them for ten years, and then sold them for a pretty, a pretty penny. <laughs> Until you do it, uh, <laughs> I think that's what I'm going to do with my uh, my uh, uh, kid fandom uh, artwork. I'll just sit on it until it's actually worth something. So. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe not. Or maybe not. Might not be worth anything, but we'll see. Um, but it's a good no time. worries. Well, <laughs> thank you for joining us. Uh, again, our website, Chronicle Chamber at no, chroniclechamber.com, email chroniclechamber at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, please subscribe to us via uh, either YouTube or your favorite podcast apps. Uh, rate us, give us five stars, tell a mate about us, um, and all that type of stuff. Make sure you follow uh, Paul Mason on social media and everything as well. Um, Dan, Steve, uh, thank you for joining us uh, listeners hopefully the we've had some uh, audio uh, technical difficulties during this podcast so hopefully it hasn't affected it too much uh, thank you for listening to us uh, from myself happy fandom happy fandom happy fandom not die. The Phantom. The ghost who walks. The Phantom. Enemies beware. The Phantom's always there. But you won't find the Phantom. He finds you.